Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm speaking to Simon Drew, who is a holistic coach and fitness trainer. Now I've known Simon for several years and in the past I've attended some of his boot camps on our common in North Essex, which have been really fun and, you know, met some really great people there. Simon has recently though moved more from fitness coaching to also expanding his work to more holistic coaching, including breath work, storytelling and the power of words. And Simon has really been on his own journey of personal discovery over the past 20 years, sort of coming from a place of really sort of low self-esteem and really struggling a lot with anxiety. And this was very much rooted in things that happened in his childhood. But then unconsciously, Simon was kind of reliving old stories again and again through his adult life. And has recently been able to kind of change all that in the last few years even through the power of storytelling, breath work and yeah, you know, working on himself in this different way. So Simon now describes that he has moved from a place of deep self-awareness and self-love, finding his true purpose and identity. And he relates to himself as the Swiss army knife of the coaching world as he tends to draw on a whole load of different things in his work and because he kind of comes from the physical fitness side but also now he is expanding into that more emotional and kind of mindset side in his work. So I really look forward to speaking to Simon and hearing more about the whole kind of story work process and Simon is going to kind of give an example of how that can be used and hopefully this can be a tool that you may be able to use yourself in terms of changing your language around yeah how you relate to yourself and what you believe. So that was a very long rambling introduction but let's get to the interview. Hi Simon and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi. So could you tell us a bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, of course, Harriet. My name's Simon Drew. For most of my life, I've been on a path of self-discovery. And in the last 20 years, this has accelerated rapidly. For a lot of discomfort throughout my life, I focused learning to understand how I'd become who I was and how I could learn and unlearn to become better. Indeed, I see my journey of self-discovery as never-ending. I see opportunity to become better every single day. In very recent times, I've been able to develop clarity in my awareness of who I am and why I'd been the way I was. I've at last created an ability to love myself deeply. This has allowed me to clearly see my life's purpose, clearly. (laughs) To be the catalyst for others to find their own purpose and subsequently to navigate their own path to being fulfilled. My relatively unique perspective from a broad broad background background in fitness and health, nutrition, hydration, sleep, to name but a few, plus general well-being and self-development. And I can kind of can coach appropriately to a very broad range of individuals because of this. Hence, I use the term holistic. I can help people identify where missing links are across their life. 
This approach is ideal for people looking to make both major and minor shifts in themselves, possibly in their relationships or their, their circumstances. It probably fits with people, especially those who are searching and finding it difficult to pinpoint how to proceed, much like I did through my own journey. Many would describe the above scenarios as a kind of midlife crisis situation to a great degree. And this has been the journey I myself have taken. So it feels appropriate for me to be coaching people through that and along those, those same lines. I've learned by traveling down that long and winding road of uncertainty, my own uncertainty. From our learning and expertise in a range of fields, I now offer people a much shorter direct route to unlocking their own potential and finding their own purpose. I do this through direct one-to-one coaching and through a new program I'm bringing out very shortly, my Fitter Life program, which means Fit for Fork in the Road Life program. I aim to support clients in the creation of new reality, one in which they can autonomously flourish themselves. And effectively, my, the term I relate myself to is I make people better. Mm. And that's me. Mm. So sounds great, Simon. It sounds like you've been quite on quite a journey to get to this point. But essentially now you're kind of like a holistic coach. Are you sort of bringing together all these different aspects, really, of the emotional, the physical, and, and kind of offering that as a kind of, you know, as a sort of holistic package to people of support? Yeah, very much so. Okay. So can you tell us a bit more about your own journey and how you came to be doing this coaching? Yeah. As I said earlier, I mean, my life's been difficult for a lot of my life. It's only really the last few years I've really feel like I've actually found myself properly. Um, I have one particular deeply embedded story that impacted my behavior really until very recently as well. And I relate to myself having to be in control for the last sort of 40 plus years. And this particular story goes back to one Friday evening when I heard my, my parents woke me up late one evening. They'd been to the pub. They'd had a few drinks and that was a regular thing on a Friday evening. And I was asleep in bed and I got woken up by them shouting at each other. Uh, I was around nine years old and this shouting was really loud. And, and basically I heard my dad asking my mum to write the name and address of a man down. And this was a man who she'd apparently had an affair with or slept with, which I, I, I didn't really know what that mean, but I knew it wasn't a very good thing hearing this in, at sort of 12 o'clock in the evening. I lay in bed extremely frightened for my mum and for all of us. My dad was very scary but I was truly transfixed on what was being said. I had to know what was going on. My body was really tense and rigid and I couldn't really breathe properly. I was just in complete fear of what was going on and what might happen as a consequence of, of what, what I could hear. A few weeks later after this had happened, I was summoned downstairs with my brother who was two years younger than me. And my dad basically sat us both down and asked us who we wanted to live with. And I, to be honest, I was too scared to answer honestly and I can't really remember what I said I'm damn certain I didn't answer one way or the other I was completely confused by the whole situation and couldn't get out of my head this thought that my dad was the man who earned the money and my mum was the caring one who I loved much more I had a much better connection with and she really cared for us and I really kind of couldn't work out how she could keep me safe without money and also, I couldn't understand how I'd survive with my dad with the security of money and probably a nice place to live. And this singular event had huge consequences and changed me as a person right there and then. It had already started when I heard the argument. It disrupted my whole schoolwork, 
prior to this event, I was a top student because I was being a good student to make sure I didn't get upset my dad, basically. I was too scared of him. So I was really good at school. My schoolwork went downhill. I was suicidal, the worst kind of darkest time of my life at around 13. I didn't actually, I remember getting like a, a really sharp kind of pen and rubbing it across my wrist at the time. It wasn't, wasn't pleasant at all, but I didn't do anything major. I didn't make blood come out or anything like that, but I was, I was in a really dark place. Over time, I became a fair amount stronger and I became angry and upset. And I, I just became that person who was angry, upset and really wanted to be strong and protect himself. And again, this was happening naturally. I didn't really do it. It wasn't done with any predisposed thinking pattern. I was just doing it out of being my nature, as it were. And it took me 20 years to figure out I was actually really confused. I was in a confused state because I was literally still trying to answer the question of should I do this or that but it was a story that had now dissipated and I couldn't really remember why I was even in that state it was just a state I found myself in <laughs> while I looked and tried to figure out through various means throughout my life it wasn't until about 18 months ago following a lot of looking inwards and through writing a lot of stuff down I related back to this specific story and I uncovered some very specific statements and the statements I created without realizing, these are statements I created without realizing at the time. And I just filed them under that's over and done with, and I don't want anything to do with it. And it literally came to this simple, these simple two statements. I can't have money because it means I won't be loved. And I can't be loved because it means I'll have no money. And those two statements, although I was not aware of them, are basically what's controlled me in the background of my life, the whole of my life up until two or three years ago, when I understood where I'd kind of figured this out. And it became crystal clear to me, the story I thought was me way back in time, had a hold on me. In fact, they were all, it was out of my consciousness. It wasn't available to me as something I could access. And as I look back, it became really clear to me that those statements had been the way my life had gone. All, all I needed to do was change that story. And then fortuitously, more recently, I found story work. And that's partly why I'm here today speaking to you. <laughs> mm, sure. Well, thank you for sharing your story. And I think, you know, what's going to be very relatable to many people is I think, you know, often things can happen to us, can't they, when we're quite young and vulnerable, you know, when we perhaps can't really make sense of what's going on. But those events sometimes can really shape then the path that our life takes. And it sounds like with you that you had some quite yeah. deep-rooted beliefs and you were almost, although you weren't really aware of them, but you were unconsciously then kind of repeating them or kind of living them. And they were sort of really influencing yeah. and confusing yeah. your life for many years. That's human nature for us. I mean, it's, it's a natural thing to do. And what's really made the difference in terms of coming to terms with some of the a who I was being how I was reacting like being confused not really understanding or being able to figure stuff out is all related to those initial things that happened to us earlier in life and as you say one of the main reasons is we have no good set of understanding we have no tools in our armory to actually understand what we're going through so what happens is we tend to internalize it or externalize it. So you become either very upset and noisy, and there's consequences to that. But more often as children, we tend to lock it all in and pretend it never happened because that allows us then to look normal and continue life day on day. 
And while not everybody will necessarily relate to this, but certainly from my perspective, I relate to myself having that as a traumatic event in my life. The confusion around what had happened was really down to this simple fact. When the event is such that you change your behavior, it is effectively some form of trauma. And when I realized that the events, some of the events, including this one being the main one, I would say, when I positioned it as trauma, if you look into what trauma does, a lot of it gets stored in the body, which means your brain can't understand it. It's just kind of stored as energy in your nervous system and the lower part of your brain, which is not your thinking brain. It's actually the kind of animalistic brain that connects directly to your nervous system. So often we can't work things out. Primarily, the things we've gone through that are very difficult, we can't work them out because there's no, there's no mental connection to this happened, so I thought this. And it's not until you start to understand the psychology of trauma and actually what happens with humans with trauma. And actually, it's interesting to find out what happens with animals as well, because they just shake it off and carry on. Because we've got a big thinking brain, we can't, we don't do that. We actually keep it inside and we store it. This is where actually breath comes into play to some degree as well, because breath actually allows us to to relate to those stories and calm the body down as we then relate back to the stories, which is where story work definitely came in and allowed me to release my, that, the control of those stories on me. And so that's the power of it. So could you tell us a bit more about the story work, sort of like how it works and, you know, yeah, just a bit more about it really for anyone that's interested. Yeah. So it's not just, it's really kind of what I've just said. So the way a session would go, is, is this simple. I work with people one-to-one with this work. So you can do it in groups as well, but it's not as deep as this one-to-one type of scenario. So you, 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 have, you arrange a meeting with a person. It's usually done online at the moment, obviously. And you, as a coach, you, you try and locate the most powerful story that that person is living within in, in, during the meeting. And you then ask them to write it down. And then you go through a four-step process of them writing it down. That's number one. Speaking it out. That's number two. Speaking out slowly. That's number three. And then speaking out slowly with breath added in. And by breath, I mean good, powerful breathing, which is part of the session as well. Because I teach people very in a very quick way to learn to use their breathing mechanics well which just literally just takes a minute or two. I mean, you don't need to be particularly worried about that because even if you're not great at it, as long as we're doing big breaths, it's cool. And through that process, we de-emphasize the power of the story. Now, never, ever, ever does somebody come to me with a written story, very rarely anyway, usually, so going back a second, never, ever does somebody come with a written story saying, I want to work on this. Because when I then speak to them and we converse about the story and figure out where they are on that day at that specific time, there's usually something lurking deeper down or embedded in that story that's more important to actually go through. Because you get in a story work session, the perspective of somebody else looking into your story to figure out what it is about the story that's really triggering you. And by the word trigger, I mean, it is causing you to have some sort of physical, mental kind of reaction to it, whereby you feel vulnerable or upset or angry. And that's where we then source the story from. And by by going down that route, 
we actually get people to talk about the important stuff, the stuff that's hidden. And it can take a while to actually get those stories out on paper and get them written down. But really, that's where the power lies, as we probably know, as I'm, you, I'm sure you're aware, I'm very aware, and I'm, I'm pretty much every adult knows this. Everybody wanders around look, trying to look good in the modern world. We actually try and protect ourselves by looking okay and getting by. And actually, those stories are the ones that we're just presenting to the world. They're not the real story of who we are. As I'm a firm testament to this, <laughs> it took me 40 plus years to resolve that story that I talked about earlier when my parents were arguing. It took me 20 years to actually do some proper self-development work. And then it's taken me another 15 years to really start to get really down deep in, and find the right kind of therapy. And it's kind of, a, effectively, it's a sort of form of trauma therapy. Um, the trauma, trauma part of the story work is what's allowed me to be free from this story or my stories. It's extremely powerful, but it's very simple. <laughs> so essentially, it's where you're you're taking you're sort of help. If someone comes to you in a way, and you are helping them to, I guess, first of all, kind of go beneath the layers to identify maybe you know their story and maybe certain beliefs or ways of viewing the world that are holding them back, and then you sort of take them through a process yes. where they start to shift that story. And it's using changing the words and also using the breath. And by going through yeah. that process, it helps kind of release some of the trauma and release kind of, you know, some of those feelings that have been held about the story and help someone shift sort of to a new perspective and sort of forming new beliefs. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's some really basic things about language that we've not covered yet. And we, I think it's worthwhile going through these now. So you know, we're brought into the world as kind of a human prepared to take on and learn naturally with whatever, whatever it's presented with. And the way we actually form memories primarily as humans is, is in words, because we start to do mummy, daddy, which are all words. And then we start to build on that. We start to say other things, food, drink, whatever it might be. And before you know it, you know, an 18 month old child within about two years probably knows 500 plus words. Their relationship to the world is words, literally, and short sentences. So they can't have a belief until they associate the belief with words. So actually anything, anything they relate to is actually related to in words. So everything, therefore, exists as language in a person's head. And this is where story work, when I first heard about story work, I couldn't believe that it was something that I'd find interesting at all. It just sounded like a thing about writing stories about things. <laughs> and why is it so powerful? Well, it's so powerful because literally everything we think about is words. It is words. The only thing that isn't is feelings that are hidden in your body, if you see what I'm saying. <laughs> so that it's difficult to put words to. You just know you have some uncomfortable sensations and it feels uncomfortable or it feels like it aches or my tummy hurts or I feel tight in my chest. So they're physical sensations, but you're still using words to convey the meaning. So, mm -hmm. and a belief, um, relating specifically to beliefs, because beliefs are just stories that you believe, that you, you live within and you say to yourself, I believe that. And you're just reiterating that you believe a story. 
So language is extremely powerful. And we, again, a bit like breathing, we tend to skip over the power our words have over us. And this is why I'm quite happy, very happy to be talking to you today, because I know, you know, the way certainly you relate to the social media stuff is written words primarily. And a lot of the statements are, you know, beliefs that some of your customers might obviously probably have. And you yourself do some form of translation of those for them. And I do a specific type of translation where we take the sentence the customer or client has and we just literally change one or two words or order of words at a time. And we do that usually after the four-step story work process because that allows them to softly shift their own perspective from one of dis- usually sort of disempowered or I am not good in it, whatever it might be. And you shift one word at a time, which allows them to shift, shift perspective on a very slow, steady level rather than just rather than think like this, think like this, just write this statement instead. Well, that usually doesn't work because it just doesn't feel like them. But doing one step, small step at a time allows them to see and actually really notice how one word changes things. Mm-hmm. So we're going to perhaps do an example of this. Yeah, to for people to understand a bit more clearly how you can shift from one place to another. Yeah, we can definitely do that. Yeah, there's there's some simple ways. One thing I'll just highlight as well is throughout the program that I've I now coach, there's a couple of definitions in terms of specific types of words, and and you and and your customers will probably get these straight away. I'm just going to give you an example of a couple. There's something called soft talk. And we're about to work on a soft talk word in a second. And one of the statements I'm going to work through with you, things like kind of, maybe, I guess, or I'll try, or one day I'll do X, hoping, or perhapsing, perhaps I'll do this, or eventually. That's all soft talk. It's actually allowing you to not be, create certainty in your relationship to language and in the statements you make about you or anything you want to do in life. And then there's also drama language which is actually highlighting that it is the way it is and there's nothing I can do. So things like really, truly, I can't do this. Or honestly, you don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) And you can kind of get the energy of just those single words. And and we're going to just work through a couple of different examples now. So you sent me some examples to kind of think about. And one of the ones I've picked out is I should always be in control. It's a very broad statement and a good practice for people listening is here just to kind of get an emphasis on this is actually get a pen and paper and actually write down these words. So if you want to take a second to do that, but you want to write down the statement, I should always be in control. The way I'd normally get work with the people on these translations in a session was I'd actually get them to do a big breath in through the nose, really fill the lungs And there was slow, long breath out through the mouth. So you can actually hear the breath. So it sounds like this. In. And And out. Do you do do that, that Simon? Do you do it before you write the statement? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you write the statement down because you need to see it and be able to remember it and get ready to breathe and read with it. So you do one big breath in and out before you say the statement. And then one big breath in and out after the statement. And the idea is you're actually calming your body down to say the statement in the first place. And of course, if if this was working with a live customer, they would be experiencing this statement like it's the truth. It's their truth. 
Mm-hmm. So because we don't have a live customer now, we're just going to work on just changing one word at a time, just so we can all see the shift in the power you see by shifting one word at a time through most of these two, these two examples we're going to do. So breathe, read a statement to yourself and then breathe again. And once you've done that, we then normally say, okay, I'll now adjust that. So I'd copy and paste this. We usually work within a Google doc as well, live across the internet. So both parties, me coaching and the person being coached can see what's happening. So the first change we're going to do, we're going to, you're going to now, if you're at home, strike out the word should, and then just put underneath the word could. And then you're going to breathe and read once more. And what you'll notice here. And if you, when you do it, you'll notice there's a shift in power of the sentence just effectively by changing two letters to one letter. That's all we've changed. And what we've done is take it from being effectively, it probably feels like you're blaming yourself because it feels like really hard work to be in control all the time. And you, you know, it affects other people around you and you feel like restricted and like, like it has to be this way to could where it actually releases some of the pressure. And I think you can probably see that. Hmm. So then we move one step further. Again, you might want to write the full sentence underneath or just cross out the word could, and you're going to put can, okay? Hmm. Which again, it might sound pressured in some ways, but it's definitely a positive. It's an affirmative way of relating to the word control. So you're saying I can be always being control. So rather than potentially potentially being in control with the word should and could it's now I can always be in control. And what you usually say is you from the should to the can people relate now to, ah, Oh yeah. Yeah. I can, because actually it is, it is you. You're the only person in this conversation with me and, and you're the one we're talking to. Can you see that you can actually always be in control? And actually you already are. It might be the type of control you aspire to, but you are in control. Now, this works differently for different people, and people might struggle with it here because they're already fighting against it because I'm not working directly with the person. So I can't gauge what people are thinking specifically. We then take it slightly one step further. I can always take control. So we've shifted it from be in control to take control, which is just a little bit more powerful because you are taking something, not being the master of being in something, which is where you're a little bit out of control still. Then we move it and simplify it. I am in charge. And if you're at home, you want to be reading and breathing each of these sentences and just try and note the difference, the shift in feeling that you get. Because a lot of how we relate to the words is actually what we feel. We actually, when we say it out, it actually, we, we can start to engage with what we're saying and with the words properly. And then finishing up, going completely other end of the spectrum from what we started was this particular one with as example, I am peaceful. Now, that might seem like alien still to some of you at home, but actually, rather than shoulding and being in control, <laughs> like it's always, I always have to be there. Guess what? You're in control anyway, which is where we got with, I can always be in control. And actually, knowing that you're in control, you can be peaceful because you know you've got control anyway and everything is fine because it actually is. You're still listening to me on the end of this recording. You're still alive. You're still breathing. Things, you know, life still carries on. 
and you can be in peace with the fact you have, you do have full control. So again, as an example, it might feel like a huge stretch, but when you're working with a customer, you actually take them on the journey of gradual translation and that embodies them in the statement that you finish with. And all of the time I'm taking feedback from how they relate to it. I'm taking visual recognition as well as breath recognition any movement in their hands, how they are, their body language. I'm literally relating to who they are via, usually via Zoom. And it's not just a changing of words. So this is why this, for some of you at home, it won't work. And some of you might even be triggered by it because think oh, this is nonsense. But the problem is I'm not actually coaching you. This is just an example. But that's how we, we do the translation. Can you see how that works, Harriet? Yeah, no, sure. No, I can. I mean, I think it's really helpful that it's a step-by-step approach. And I think your point in a way that obviously when you're working with someone, it can be a very collaborative process, can't it, where they can, you know, the person can actually be like contributing words or, you know, giving feedback to you so you can really fine tune it. So they're making the steps gradually and in a, in a meaningful way, I guess. So the end statement is something they can really own and hold on to. Absolutely. It's an embodied statement. They actually have created the statement themselves. And I mean that in a way, because what I do is, this probably sounds a bit ridiculous, but over Zoom, I reckon even over Zoom, 70%, something like that of the communication is not through literally what they say it's how they're reacting physically, how their breath changes, mm-hmm. what they feel emotionally in their body rather than, oh, I have an idea that this works. They don't really say words to you when you're doing this. Mm. Okay. So I don't, people don't actually necessarily say things. I relate to how they're being. Sure. Which is very Just, different for them. Yeah. Yeah. No, sure. No, I understand that. So yeah, you're really taking everyone, someone's whole kind of body language into it and being very perceptive, I guess, picking up on sort of, yeah. In terms of then putting this into practice in terms of like, so you'd work with you and in a way you move from your like limiting statement through the power of changing your story to a much more empowered statement. So then how do you then use that in your day-to-day life when the old story comes up? Or, you know, so how do you kind of implement that in a practical way to start to really, I guess, start to like release that trauma almost and, and live the new story? So that, that's a really good question. And actually, this is one of the things and, you know, I've sort of suggested this a few times in the call already. But the fact is, I'm not coaching you and I'm not coaching anybody right now. And until you actually do the coaching, you don't get the impact of writing the story, doing the exercise, which, you know, can take a reasonable amount of time depending on how conducive to writing stories and reading them out and how long they are once you've got through a story session that's like i said for me that was an there was an element of de-traumatizing from the story by the time you get to these statements and these statements this this statement we just worked through that top line statement i should always be in control will be a piece of text i've taken from within your story and then we've worked through it so I've taken you through the four-step story work piece. You have actually, in reading it and breathing through it, which might seem ridiculously like I can't see how that's going to work, and I don't expect anybody in this court hearing this to actually understand it. It's what it's a it's a process of engagement with part of your past in a powerful way, and that's all I can really say about that without people doing it. But you basically 
get some space. You take the story from being slapped on front of your eyes like a pair of dark glasses that you can't see to in the first step, taking it out from there. So it's like six or eight inches away from your face. Then it goes to about three or four feet away from your face in the step three. And by the time you've done step four, it's 10 feet away. You can just about read it still. And that's the sensation you have of the story. You shifted a story that has a lot of power in, in you that you didn't know existed or you'd forgotten about. And you actually take it out of your body, out of your head, put it on paper and actually get further away from it in the four step process. Then you have a new relationship with the story now. It's like it's got a lot less power and it, the, the impact of it might not happen for a couple of weeks, which is why I give people a couple of weeks window between the first session and the second, if we do a second one. And I then take a little bit of a snippet of that, that story. And for this example, I should always be in control. And now it has to, it already, when I've written that statement out, it's already got a fair amount less power. And then we start to translate it into effectively an affirmation. So they've de-traumatized from it. We've written it down. We've started to translate it into something as powerful that actually really pulls them into a new way of relating to themselves. And then they just reuse it as an affirmation. And I would recommend probably reading and breathing every two or three times a day, just once a day, depending on when they remember, when they feel like they're, you know, maybe maybe that story still feels like it's a little bit there. Just relate back to breathing and reading the I am peaceful statement we just created. And that just embodies the statement as a positive thing. And again, I can't, people at home listening to this probably think it's all woo-woo, but it's basically just de-traumatizing. And I call it de-traumatizing because for me, that's the way I relate to these stories. They are so, they're deep embedded stories that we, 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 we try and pull up from people's way of being. And you just create a different relationship. The story becomes almost like, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that happened. And yeah, and that's why I can openly talk and share these things to you. Do you think it's easy to, to talk of sort of practice to tell people at 10 years old, I was traumatized in bed and then, then I've not been able to deal with, with partners and with money for the rest of my life until three years ago? You know, three years ago, I'd have been scared to tell anybody or at least say it on a, a live podcast. <laughs> it definitely wouldn't happen. So, can, so I just inter- inter- can I just jump in yeah. a minute, Simon? So it sounds like in a yeah, way... Yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, the actual process doing the process itself like that kind of within the you know the safe space of a session where you've obviously you know you've identified the limiting beliefs in your story and then you go through that process doing the breath work in a very collaborative way so you start to shift your story you know to a place where you actually produce an affirmation that's a really helpful empowering sort of statement and then in a way that's almost like I guess that sounds like that essentially is the is is the path. That's the sort of bit of process work. But then I guess what you're doing then is then because I guess you know going back into real life, you might have the thought yeah, yeah, still yeah. about I should always be in control. But you're kind of almost regularly. I mean, I guess having been through the process in the first place, you've you've now got a bit more distance and understanding about how unhelpful that old story was. Yeah, and you're trying to regularly yeah. reaffirm the new story and sort of embed that and embody that, I guess, on a, on a deep level. Yes, exactly. And, and there, is a, there are some practices, but also what I say that what doesn't become obvious is here. When, when you then start saying to yourself, I should always be in control, you go, hang on a minute. No, no, that's nonsense. I, I got rid of that. It, it doesn't mean that anymore. Mm. No, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. 
that's the shift it's like that statement becomes it doesn't have any power over you now the thing is i would obviously i one of the things i definitely recommend people do is do some start journaling as soon as you know if they're not doing it before journaling and get stuff on paper get it out of your head that's mm-hmm. why journaling works i you know i really got into journaling about 2 years ago having sat on the fence with it literally for 5 years thinking it's a good idea but i don't really have time or you know i couldn't see the the real value in it but i started practicing a couple of years ago and of course leading into the story work stuff it, it's the gold it's actual gold that you actually own yourself and this is where the power is this is why we talk about you know my power the power when people say your power is within you it's because yes this is a superpower unraveling your own rubbish really <laughs> because it's it's what's formed your behavior and guess what a lot of us have behavior we don't enjoy having and we feel like we're stuck completely stuck and that's exactly where i was but this is a very powerful way of very simply getting you out of of that if you like that rut that stuckness and the practices are in a very simple relationship to the, the the exercise we just did, I am peaceful. You'd basically write that down and you'd write it down maybe 20 times on one piece of paper. And every morning you get out of bed, grab a coffee, whatever, sit looking out the window at the table, start breathing, practice your breathing. Then after one breath, say, I am peaceful. And then breathe again. I am peaceful. And own it, literally own it. And the thing is what happens when you unravel one story and you create power for yourself, a lot of other stuff shifts without you doing anything, okay? Mm-hmm. More stories will start to surface because you've unlocked one major statement, which is usually, the first time is usually a major statement when you first do a story of accession. And then, yeah, stuff starts to move because you start to relate to yourself differently because mm-hmm. most of our statements, as you'll know, one statement supports another and it supports a particular, it re- supports an identity we believe is us, because our identity is really just a set of statements about who we are, which effectively is just a set of words. And that's why people can have relatively big shifts in who they relate themselves or how they relate to themselves. And actually they start to see there is something available that wasn't available before in life. You know, they could start to want to do other things for themselves. They may want to help mm. other people in a different way than they were doing. But ultimately like it just very- releases more power for you. Yeah, sounds like a really, a really, really powerful process, actually. And obviously, you know, it's interesting, obviously, hearing about it as a therapist, because I guess, you know, I would do call it quite a lot of work with people sort of listen to their stories, but, but I probably wouldn't work in this quite in this way. So it's very interesting just to hear about, you know, how it works and how obviously how empowering it's been for you and how empowering it could be potentially for other people as well. So Simon, so could you say as well a bit more, if people are interested to find out a bit more about what you do or to kind of read up on this story work process, like where do they need to go to find out more? Yeah, so the best place to put, there's two things. So you could get me on coach.simon.drew on Instagram, if you use Instagram. I have a website, which is fitrlife, which is one word, F-I-T-R l-i-f-e dot net which is just a single page at the moment but there is contact information on there i do have some other websites as well relating to my fitness side of things for my personal training and boot camp which i still do but then there's an email which is probably the best way of getting in touch with me in all honesty simon at simon drew dot net simon drew one word hooked together okay 
So Simon at simondrew.net. And then in terms of what I'm offering in the environment of the story work, I do a certain number of story work sessions with everybody that will come into my Fitter Life program. And the program is an eight-week program, which literally takes anybody from any walk of life, probably people who are, you know, in that kind of stuck position, or if they're like really struggling with making the right kind of choices or, you know, with the whole of that C word, the COVID word, <laughs> we've all been challenged in a very big way. Mo- you know, most of us have been challenged. And so these people might have hit a crossroads in what they, they deem to be a crossroads or a fork in the road, which is one of the programs called Fitter Life. And one just solid guidance on how to create new new stories around who they can be in life by creating new stories you can start to open up new avenues and 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 i help people i support people in making the first steps into understanding themselves and then giving them tools in whatever you know that holistic point and you know so sorting the hydration out sorting sleep out giving guidance around sleep but also most importantly with the story work is grounding them in daily practices that support the shifts they're making in terms of the mental space. So yeah, you can contact me through those two or three different places and yeah, I'd love to speak to anybody who's interested and happy to have a, what I call a discovery call, which you can click on the links on the fitterlife.net page. If there are anybody out there who'd be interested in trying a story work session or the program. Okay, well, that's lovely, Simon. And I'll make sure I put all the sort of links in the show notes so people can find you easily. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for sharing about this story work. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Harriet. Take care. I'll see you soon. Thank you very much indeed. Take care. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. Do go and check out all of Simon's details in the show notes. Now, if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And if you're interested in getting more support in overcoming disordered eating and improving your relationship with food, do go to the eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk and there's information about online courses, breakthrough days, and also training days in eating disorders and body image for counsellors. So thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon. Mm